year was October the 2nd. They're way ahead of us. But their year number was 5,777. So they have a different numbering system than we do. Is China's the same as ours? 2017. But Bill mentioned something the last time we met about how God really teaches the Jewish people how to live in this, the way he's ordered their life, their days, their and their calendar. And he was t- telling us about their, their day begins in the evening, begins at darkness, which kind of reflects the way life really is. We begin in darkness, and then we're born. Um, we begin in sin and darkness and not understanding, and hopefully we come to understanding and light. And I got to thinking about that, Bill, and... Um, I thought, well, if it's true for the day, is it true for the for their calendar? And in some respects, I think it is. I think it really is. Their their um, like I said, their date begins on October the second, and that is uh, Rosh Hashanah for them. It's the day for the Jewish people that they tend to begin a period of introspection, looking back over the year before, which you know we kind of do. We've talked about it this morning. You kind of look back and they look back and see what didn't go so well, where they fell short, where they really weren't walking in the light. And it's a time for them to think about those things and to begin to, to repent. Ten days later is Yom Kippur, which is their day of atonement. And so their whole calendar is set for them to remember these particular times and I guess uh, in, in some ways we have we've adopted some of that in the way that we look back. And so I was thinking, you know, a part of what you do, and we've talked about it this morning already, is we look back. We look at the things that we'd like to see changed. Uh, we make New Year's revolutions, hopefully. Uh, my brother, I talked with my brother. His birthday was the day before Mary's. And he asked me if I'd made any this year. And I said, no, not really. I was going to look back at the ones I made the year before and see if I could just renew those. You know, so that's the way it is for some of us. But I wanted to just, as I was reflecting about that, I would look back at kind of where we were at the end of 2014 and the end of 2015. And I remember, Randy, you had a message uh, back at the end of 2014 about remembrance. And we talked about remembering and the fact that it's not just a one-time thing we do. It's a thing that God calls us to do all the time. Um, and then the overarching message for our, all our messages tended to be in 2015 was about making choices, making wise choices. We had examples through a lot of Roger's teachings about people that didn't make wise choices. And uh, so I wanted to kind of talk today about this whole exercise of looking backwards and also looking forward. And so what we're going to look at is a scripture in Luke, Luke chapter 11, if you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bible. Um, starting in the 29th verse. But I'd like to give a little bit of background before we actually read that particular scripture. Um, In the last part of chapter 10, um, Jesus visits Mary and Martha. Uh, It's a story that most everyone is familiar with, so I won't go into a lot of detail on it, but Jesus comes to visit his friends, Mary and Martha, 
And Martha is excited about having him there, but she's really busy trying to get the, the meal ready and the house ready and everything that needs to be done when you have company. But Mary just kind of hangs out with Jesus and um, listens to what he has to say and, and visits with her with, with the guest. And, and Jesus affirms her choice as a wise choice. He says, you know, you, there's, and he tells Martha, there's only one thing that's really necessary and Mary has chosen what that is. It's to listen to the word of the Lord. Um, from that point, we begin in chapter 11. Jesus goes to pray. Uh, his disciples see him praying. They say, teach us how to pray. So he gives them a prayer as a guide for them to learn how to pray. And then he gives two short stories about some of the principles of prayer. And one of those principles is you got to be persistent. you got to be persistent persistent then the other thing that he tells them is look god knows how to give good things and so we move from there uh into this whole place of him healing somebody casting out a demon out of a man and then um he's immediately his his ministry is immediately questioned how authentic is it where is it coming from and so the Pharisees are telling people that he's of the devil. This man's work is of the devil. And so Jesus speaks to that as, as you're coming through chapter 11 and says, um, the devil is somebody that seeks to kill, to steal and destroy. All the things that you've seen me do are opposite of that. I heal. I bring people to life. I encourage I tell the truth. And so he then he reasons with them. Now, if that's what I'm doing, then Satan's house must be divided against itself. And so a house like that can't stand. So he just refutes the, the, the premise of where they're coming from and talks about that and says, you know, I'm casting out the demon. I do the things by the finger of God. Therefore, the kingdom of God, the rule of God has come upon you. And so... The people are still asking for a sign. And so then we come to this verse 29, which I'm going to read 29 through 36 is what, what our passage is for today. So the people are asking for a sign. And then we read this. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. Well, that's a good way to win, friends. <laughs> It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. 
Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. So, here we have in verse 29, Jesus says, this is a wicked generation. Now, he was largely speaking to the Pharisees here, who were the main ones that stir up this doubt about his ministry. So, was he talking about that they were immoral? No. It wasn't that they were immoral. Was it that they were not religious? No, they were very religious. It was the fact that they sought a sign. He called them wicked because they sought a sign. Um, the, people want, the people wanted to see some kind of miraculous thing from heaven to affirm his words, his teaching, and his message. But then he says, look, you're not going to get a sign except the sign of Jonah. You know, he goes on and he gives these two examples. And he says, look, there was, back in Solomon's day, the, the queen of the south came from the ends of the earth to hear. She had heard of his wisdom and she came to him to actually see. And if you go back and read the passage, it's really interesting because it says she came to him with all her hard questions. All her hard questions. How many of y'all have any hard questions? How many of you have ever been asked a hard question? She came to it with all her hard questions and he explained them all. Explained every one of them. Now, that's a lot wiser than I am. I just have to say I don't know sometimes, you know. But what's interesting about it is that the Bible then says it took her breath away. Now, have you ever asked a hard question and um, somebody gave you the answer and you're like, wow, yeah, it's perfect sense. I, looking at Greg, I remember this has got to have been 25 years ago. We were having a men's meeting at his house. about four then. Yeah. <laughs> He's gotten a lot wiser since then. But it's been a long time ago. We were having a men's meeting at his house. It was before 10, so we weren't ordered to get out. Um, so somebody asked him a question. I think it was Roger Neely, honestly. I don't remember for sure. And, I, and it was a, a couple people tried to give an answer. And then Greg just came out with this like seven-word phrase. I don't even remember what it is. I just remember the response after was dead silence. It was like, that's God. It was like, nobody said a word. It was like, just profound. Probably surprised you too, didn't it? I think, I think we've all been there. We've all been there. We've answered a question. It's like, did I say that? Well, sometimes it's the Lord just working through us. But, you know, it took her breath away. And Jesus is saying, look, somebody wiser than Solomon is here. Somebody greater than Solomon is here. Um, 
And he goes on and then he talks about Jonah. And he says, um, the people of Nineveh, which were basically heathens, Jonah goes and preaches. All we get is a one-sentence sermon in, in the Bible from him. And they repent. Jonah says, God's going to destroy this place 30 days. Well, they listen and they they believe in this God of Jonah's that he was going to do this. And so they say, let's repent. Maybe God will look at us and not destroy us. And that's what that's what happened. And so Jesus, is, you know, he's saying, look, the son of Jonah, he must have told them the story of how he got there. I mean, I, I can't imagine them not knowing that story. Look, I tried not to come. I ran away. The ship got in a storm. They threw me in the sea. A big fish swallowed me. I stayed there three days. And he burped and threw me up on the beach. So I figured I better come talk to you guys. (laughs) And so that miracle, I think, made them listen. They said, man, God's really speaking to us. We're going to repent. And Jesus is saying, look. Somebody, a sign greater than Jonah is here. Um, and so what happens is then we come to this place. He says, that's the only sign you're going to get, the sign of Jonah. And then he starts talking about a lamp and seeing and light. It's like this total. Are you ADD, Jesus? I mean, where, why, are we, why are we switching to this? And then he's going to start, um, you know, with all the eight woes against the Pharisees right after this. And so I was looking at this and I was saying, how in the world is this connected to what he just said? And, and the more I thought about it, the more it kind of made sense. Um, so he talks about a lamp, a light, and seeing. And actually there are two lamps he talks about. So the first lamp is the one spoken of in verse 33. He says this, No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. So, what are lamps used for? I mean, they've changed over the years. You know, it was a fire on a stick. It was, you know, a little bowl with oil in it with a wick that came up out of it. You know, it was a candle with a wick. It was, now we have light bulbs. But the purpose of the lamp has always been the same. What's, it, what's the purpose of the lamp? Right. It has a positive and a negative. It's to give light. And the negative is it dispels darkness. You know, you don't light a lamp and then stick it under here so nobody can see it. Uh, unless you're weird. So, I mean... We're not weird, but our clock stays under the bed because <laughs> the light's too bright for Tia to sleep. So we have this glow out from under our bed. And I usually, if I need to know what time it is, I just get up and look at my, my phone. But uh, normally you don't put a light in a place that you don't want uh, there not to be light. And so um, the light, he's saying... This particular lamp, this first lamp, is himself. He's saying, look, all the stuff I've done, all my teaching, it hasn't been in secret. It's been in the synagogue. All my miracles, they haven't been 
at nighttime. I, I, you've seen everything I've done. You know, it's all out in the open. Um, and so, and now they're asking for a sign. Like, haven't I, haven't I given enough light for you to decide who I am? No, no, we, we need a sign. And he says, you're not getting a sign because light isn't the problem here. There's plenty of light. The problem is your sight. And so that's what he goes into here in, in the next verse. So Solomon was a lamp in his generation for people to see the wisdom of God. And the Queen of the South traveled the ends of the earth, came here and recognized the wisdom of God that rested in him. And then the Bible says, and she praised the God of Israel. Jonah was a lamp to the people of Nineveh. He, he brought forth the word of God and they believed it. Here is somebody greater than Solomon and Jonah. And he's saying, you've, given, there's, you've been given plenty of light. So the problem is your sight. And so he talks about this second lamp, which is in verse 34. Let me find that and read it here. Yep. Verse 34. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Now, it's an interesting verse because some of the things that we are commanded and desire to see are we see by faith. Well, faith doesn't come by seeing. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And so, what what kind of eye is he really talking about here? It's not, he's using this as an example because light comes in our eye and registers on our mind and then we begin to process that. But the, the, the eye that he's really, the lamp that he's talking about here is the eyes of our heart. Paul talks about it in, in Ephesians. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened. And so what he's getting at here is, is this, this eye to the soul, to, our, to who we really are, our, our, our soul. And um, I think sometimes what he's, what he's trying to say here is if that eye is healthy, then you'll perceive and understand what you hear and see. Um, and it's interesting, the word that's, what does a healthy eye look like? You know, we know what this healthy eye looks like. You know, the word itself kind of means single, um, holding back nothing. Uh, other translations say big and generous. But it's, it's having this eye of the heart that uh, is big enough to really take in and consider what you are seeing or what you're hearing. Um, another another um, explanation was that it has to do with like folds, like like your eyelid. Um, that you have folds over your eye 
then sometimes it's very difficult to see. And so it's, it's a matter of removing those types of things. So we talk about a healthy eye, and then it talks about a bad eye or a diseased eye. Um, and so what I think the Bible's talking about here is the disposition of your heart. Um, you know, if, you, if your heart is given away to passion or lawlessness, prejudice, uh, impurity, cynicism, or anything that kind of flows out of that, uh, if your heart is given away to uh, pride or haughtiness, all those things as a disposition of your heart um, make it difficult to, to see things clearly. And so I remember this particular verse out of Proverbs says, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked is sin. And so what we have to do is not have a bad eye, but a healthy eye. Um, But the interesting thing about this is, is that this particular Verse is not disconnected from verse 23. Uh, basically, I think what the Lord's trying to say here is that the, the light from his lamp, if you your eye is healthy, becomes true light for you. And so you can recognize who he really is. That was the problem back then. It's the same problem today is uh, until one sees clearly who Christ is, who, what his words really mean, and the wondrous work he's done on the cross to buy back a people for his father, um, you just won't see anything else in the right perspective. Um, So he encourages us to see him for who he is, to see the light of the truth of his mission and his work. But then he gives this caution in the next verse, in verse 35. There's a warning. It's kind of a caveat. It says, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. In other words, some, some transla- your translation may say, watch out. Watch out or be careful. Because if the light that's in you is darkness, and it says in, uh, in another passage how great that darkness is. And so, I don't know about you, but um, when somebody thinks that they've got the truth and they don't, they're the most difficult person to convince otherwise. You know, and a practical example would be if somebody has a way that they do something, a method of how they cook this or how they fix that, and they know it's the best way, they're not, they just are not going to listen to you or me explain another way that really is the best way. They're convinced that the way they do it is the way it ought to be done, you know? Um, And so I think that's the danger, I think, that we all face, is when there's a disposition in in the heart 
that you know whether whether it's called bad or disease. Sometimes the Bible uses the word disease, which means this means means not. So not at ease. So when you're not at ease in your heart, either because there's a hurts there or unresolved conflicts or unforgiveness, um, you know, self worth problems, whatever it is, you're you're really not at peace with yourself. You're not at ease. And so when we find ourselves in those kind of places, sometimes when we hear things or see things, um, we don't judge them rightly. We don't see them truthfully. And so Jesus is really encouraging us to make sure that the disposition of our heart is healthy so that we see things truthfully. Um, and so I think that's what's important about this particular verse is that when we look back and we assess the good and bad things of the year before, or when we look forward, you know, with hopes or dreams or sometimes fears or dreads because of the unknown in the forward, if we don't learn how to look at those things in the light first of who Christ is, we're not going to be looking at them as we ought to be looking at them. Um, they get bigger than they should be. When you look at the marvelous work that Christ has done in coming to the earth and walking perfectly before the Father in being that sacrifice that redeems us, everything else is almost a shadow. I mean... Candlelight looks great until the sun comes up. You know, um, the 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 lights of a city really blind us from the beauty of the stars. And so that's one of the cautions in this thing is when we see things in our culture that we think are true or right, but really aren't, then um we need to we need to be able to reassess that we need to we need to let that line up against what Christ has said and taught what God has shown us is what is true and and from that those other things then begin to be in perspective about where they should fit and not be quite so large in in what we may make them out to be so this particular passage really the whole part about the lamp and the eye is is a challenge for us to see him for who he is and when we do then the things that come into us and the way we perceive things will really line up with the truth i just want to leave this one last um actually it's a prayer it's paul's prayer but it's also my prayer it's a part of Ephesians 1.16 for you all. Um, as we move forward into 2017, this is it. I do not cease to give thanks for you. I do not cease to give thanks for each one of you. Um, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, 
having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you to do. God's called every one of us to something. Um, you, you prayed something about hope earlier. Hope in God. God does. God, the Bible tells us we'll not be disappointed. You won't be disappointed. But you're trusting God. He sees the beginning from the end. Julia um, prayed earlier about God is good. God only gives good things. So hoping God. He is able to do things that you and I can't do. He's able to reach people that we can't reach. He has all the answers. And when somebody sees the truth to an answer... Maybe it really will take their breath away in such a way that, oh, now I see. And so I just would encourage you as you're looking back over the last year, as you're looking forward to look at it in the light of Christ and the work that he's done. Amen. Look on page two in your song sheet space. Preston, you were sharing up.